This is God's word. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed are those who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. The word of the Lord. Let's pray a moment here before I begin. God of grace, as we uh, come into this room from all kinds of different places, we ask that you, through your, your infinite wisdom and knowledge of each of our stories, that you would join us and speak to us now in such a way that we find our lives to be experiencing some amount of transformation because of you. Meet us through these words. Speak to us words of grace as we find ourselves, though from so many different places, all more of a mess than we care to admit. Speak to us through the grace of this story, of your, your scriptures that tells us through Christ we are more loved and accepted than we ever imagined. Sink that into our hearts and our minds and our lives. Today we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't, I don't go to very many dinner parties uh, these days, um, although they, they're an enjoyable concept. I, just, I think, really, if you put it simply, at my house, every night around dinner time, there's a party of sorts um, with, with four kids, ages you know, zero to ten. Um, so I have to live vicarious, vicariously. I live through this uh, podcast that I listen to. Uh, it's put on by American Public Media called the Dinner Party Download. Um, wonderful little 
you know, one hour. It started out small, and then it got popular, so now it's not a 15-minute thing. It's an hour-long thing each week. I love it. Um, one of the, my favorite parts about it is the etiquette section. And in the etiquette section, the, these questions are written in, these tough kind of awkward social situations and dinner party. A lot of them are dinner party-related questions. And, uh, and then some, ho- some person that's on the show answers it. Usually it's someone who's fairly well-known in the arts and culture world. So you get questions like this. Um, you get uh, a question like, uh, let's pick one of these here. Um, how do you politely break away from a conversation at a party when you're really bored and want to move on? Um, you just imagine now, because the, the, the person who was answering it, the, the star guest that was on was Kevin Nealon. You know, the comedian, you can just imagine him, if you know him a little bit, having a heyday with that. And it was really funny to hear. I can't really, it's just too meandering to tell you his funny parts, but uh, you'll have to go look that up. There was another one that went like this. If you're, maybe you can relate to this. If your place of work frequently has meetings or trips with coworkers during the lunch hour, is it appropriate to pack and then eat your lunch if the group is, say, in the car for a two-hour drive, especially when the person in charge never wants to stop and eat? Or do you suck it up and just let your blood sugar drop? I just, I, just these kind of situations, you say, oh, I never thought I would be in a situation like that. And the people that were answering that one, actually, is kind of cool. It was Lizzie, and, Lizzie Post and Daniel Post, who are the great-great-grandchildren of Emily Post and are part of the whole Post family etiquette deal. Anyway, I, just, I find that to be fascinating, those little teachings on dinner parties and etiquette and little stories about it. But Jesus, in a sense, if you think about it, he's giving three, in this passage we just read, he's giving three little teachings about dinner parties. And um, each of them is different. You notice the first one, is, they're, all, they're all so different and interesting. The first one is really if you're a guest. If you're a guest, you know, which seat do you pick and how that might play out in the end if you get asked you know, someone replaces you because they're more important, then you have to sit on the end, and how would that feel? So that's the first teaching, and then the second one gets into, uh, bless you, the second one, so first, if you're a guest, then what about if you're a host? And then we get this section of verses 12 through 14 about um, uh, what kind of people to invite, kind of some surprising suggestions from Jesus. And then the third vignette, the third little teaching is really about how God invites. And um, if you didn't catch it, it's, it's a parable that very much is pointing to God and what we can know about God and the kingdom of God in terms of this whole inviting thing. Each one is about inviting. They deal with different things. And what I, I'm not really sure, we can't really deal with all three, but I think we can deal with two of them because they're interrelated. So we're going to kind of just put the first one on hold and then um, the second two we're going to deal and they kind of move into each other. So the first one um, was this. Let me just read this. I won't read the whole second one, but I will read this. Jesus said to his host, uh, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. The eyebrows raised there. Do not invite your family and friends, basically, to your, your party. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Now, that's, I think if we're honest, that hits us and it's pretty terrifying. Um, it's just one of those really hard things to understand, one of those difficult teachings of Jesus. And Jesus' teachings are often hard, and where the, there are these different ones that you run into like this where they leave you asking questions like, well, what's even the point? 
Um, I can think of different ones throughout, the, a few different here and there in the Gospels that have this kind of dynamic. What's, what's even the point? In here, you would say, what? Invite? What's even the, the point of having people over if I'm going to invite, I'm, I'm not allowed to invite my family and friends, and isn't the point of kind of getting together about, you know, having a good time together with people you enjoy and are close to, and I'm supposed to invite people who I don't know and who I know are going to tax me a lot more in terms of their needs and um, create this awkward, unpredictable exchange, and that's just what I'm, Jesus says, that's what you do. It's a terribly confusing kind of thing. And what I would say is this, is that in these kinds of teachings with Jesus, what I think is really going on is that he's after a sort of a softening of our hearts. He's after a getting us in a place where we do pause and we do say, well, what's the point? We ask the bigger question. We say, what, what could he even possibly mean? What, how would it even work that I would be in that situation? It's a seasoning of our hearts. It's a softening. It's prepping. It's like getting into God's kitchen with the great sous chef and getting prepared for some, it's not the It's not necessarily the teaching itself that, that is the kind of the, the final punch or the thing that it's really after. But this kind of gets us stewing and pausing. And really, if, you, if you're really understanding the Bible, you'll find Jesus' teachings doing this a lot. You'll find them... them um, not just, oh, okay, well, he said that, and so I'm going to try to do that. But there will be a sort of these teachings working on you, kind of over time, just kind of sitting with you, chewing on you. And I, I look out, I see people who I've, I've walked along with you as you've done that, as that's happened. Um, and it doesn't just happen through Scripture. God does this in all sorts of ways. God might have you this morning. The, the main reason you might have come in here this morning, because in some way, this morning, this afternoon, in some way you... Um, you are responding to how God is seasoning and softening you and prepping you, and that's why you're even here. That's already been happening through some problem that you can't fix or some ethic that you can't seem to live up to or some view of money that you know is admirable and you want to have, but you just can't kind of put it into practice or some kind of response to suffering and need that you just don't have and you find yourself measuring up pretty selfish compared to what your ideal would be. And so it gives you pause. God might be doing that. These teachings definitely do that. Now, let me throw a wrench into things. Because I'm saying these seem, this teaching seems impossible and terrifying. Let me read a few uh, things from the earliest centuries of the Christian church. A writer named, uh, let's see if I got the right page here. A writer named Lactantius. And he writes this about the same issue of inviting. So he argued that the house of a just man ought not to be open to the illustrious, but to the lowly and abject. Lactantius, 4th century, Christian teacher. All right, here's Chrysostom. John, John, John Chrysostom Another, uh, right around the turn of the 3rd, 4th century, wrote this. He urged his parishioners, this is um, from Christine Pohl's book about hospitality. He urged his parishioners to make a guest chamber in their houses. Did you, did you catch that? Make a guest chamber in their houses, a place set apart for Christ, a place within which to welcome, and this is quoting him, the maimed, the beggars, and the homeless. Recognizing that some Christians would hesitate, 
some. <laughs> some Christians would hesitate to take strangers into their, their homes or guest homes, guest rooms. Chrysostom suggested that they could at least make a place in their household for a local poor person who was known to them. The common teaching and practice of the church at the time, and he, he wasn't just teaching this, he was following it up with his own action. It's, this is what uh, Paul writes in her book, that from the year 400 to 403, Chrysostom built a number of hospitals in Constantinople. These provided care for strangers and orphans as well as for those who were sick, chronic invalids, old, the old, poor, and destitute. We say, this is terrifying. At other periods of time in the Christian church, they said, normative. Normative. And I think that that happens only when you and others around you are marinating in the teachings of Jesus to the point of where something really, really important happens. See, when I think about what's God trying to do through this passage or what, you know, what am I trying to do in teaching on it today, um, most of us would assume, well, you're, tr- you're trying to say, well, maybe I'll f- you'll make me feel bad enough by all this talk about um, what I'm not doing and what I don't even want to do. Okay, so maybe I'll feel bad enough about that, that I'll get convicted enough about that, that I might finally be good enough and have the energy to put in to be good enough in that area. But this is a very important point to hear, is that Jesus' seasoning kinds of teaching, his teaching, his softening, his marinating kinds of teachings, they never end that way. They never end in your ability to be good enough. In fact, that's why, what do all the gospel, all four of the gospel stories that talk about Jesus, what do they all build up to? All those teachings, all of those parables, many of them confusing and difficult to understand. What do they all, where does it all go? It all goes to the final answer of the cross where Jesus takes the place of those who are not good enough so that we might be seen by God as those who are good enough only through him. Um, None of these teachings like this are there to try to get you to point to how you're good enough, your own ability. They're all there to function, to expose your need to the cross. I think you could even say all of the teachings and parables of Jesus are all just setting the stage, all just prepping you and readying you for the big final event. And so that's, I think, also evident in this teaching and in how it doesn't end with verses 12 through 14 when we're talking about inviting. Um, there's three of them. The first one just kind of perks your interest with wisdom. It just seems kind of wise. Don't take the top seat because then you might have to be sent to the bottom. Oh, okay, I'm with you, Jesus. That sounds good. Oh, and by the way, here's who you should invite to all your parties. And then you're just, whoa, I'm confused. I have no idea where that came from. And then comes this final parable that really tells us where that comes from. It's the one of the great host. And there's different characters in the story. There's the host. There's the servant that gets sent out. There's the first people who are invited, who have the excuses. And then there's the final people who find their seats. So the challenge is, if you, if you are softened long enough and seasoned long enough by the difficulties of the well, second part, the, the first story, um, 
verses 12 through 14. If you're softened long enough, you might just be prepared to place yourself in the story in his that final character. Where do you put yourself in this story? Are you the guest who's got a lot of good things going? Are you the, I mean, basically the first, the first guest isn't surprised to get an invite like this from this host. In fact, there's many other things going on that I need to prioritize. The first guest is really like a lot of our parents, you know, a lot of your parents have, would, would say that's a good place to be. You know, you're purchasing things, you know, you're getting your life together, you're settling down, you're getting married, you have business opportunities that you have to tend to. You're in a good place. Never would you think that that person, or that kind of think in, in our thinking, that that person would be kind of pushed to the side and someone else would raise up. It's very difficult to put ourselves in the position of this parable where you're the undeserving guest at the feast. But that's what the softening is after. That's what we're after here. And what happens when you own that identity? What happens when you say, okay, finally, never thought about it this way, never would have put myself in the parable this way. What if, in fact, on the cosmic level, in my relationship with God, I am the undeserving guest? What starts to happen when that shapes you? When you're shaped not by your earning and your deserving, but by grace for a soul in need? Well, this is a very critical thing that happens. So when that starts to sink in, then when you see another soul in need, you see a kindred spirit. And you identify. And when giving, perhaps, away to that kindred spirit taxes you, and when maybe someone you're helping, they don't quite help themselves like you think they should after the first time, or they don't say thank you enough, or maybe not at all, Instead of saying, how could they? Your reaction, if you've put yourself as this undeserving guest in the parable, then your reaction is, when you see that in someone else, you say, oh, that reminds me of how much I've taxed God <laughs> and how patient he has been and how he has chased me down and brought me home and made me feel like I belong like never before. That's the difference where if you enter into the parable, if you're softened enough, seasoned enough by the difficulty of that teaching, you might see that you're more of a mess than you care to admit. But in God and the great inviter, the great host, you are more loved and accepted than you ever imagined. So what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do? Maybe for you today, just you're at that point where you need to percolate and get seasoned in the teachings of Jesus. Give it a try. Most people are open to at least reading what Jesus said. Maybe there's a lot of other stuff in the Bible. Yeah, I don't know about this. I don't know about the Apostle Paul. Just read the teachings of Jesus and see if they don't begin to season you, to be seeming to prep you for something bigger. Or maybe you're the heady person and you need a book. You need to, you need to get this, your hands on Christine Pohl's book called Making Room, Recovering Hospitality as a Christian Tradition, and you need heady stuff to think this through and apply it to your life. Or maybe you're ready to try it. Maybe you're already thinking about some way and someone in your life to, um, to do this. And this would be my one, just in closing, this would be my one uh, point of of application and how to think about that. Say if you're going to try safe ground next Friday and you're going to join some of us, you're going to be there to help out and to serve people who don't have shelter, who don't have enough food. This would be what I'd say to do while you do that. See 
if you can't see yourself in the person who doesn't have a home or doesn't have food. See if you can't see um, that, okay, this person has a need for food and maybe shelter and maybe some other things. That's actually an extraordinarily small and manageable need compared to the cosmic need I have before God. They come empty-handed and dependent on you know, the event to provide, and you come empty-handed, entirely dependent on the grace of God. Let's pray. Dear God, I pray that you help us, shape us. Um, whether we find that we're reading a passage of Scripture that seems really easy to apply and easy to follow, manageable, maybe it makes sense, or whether we're, fine, we're reading something and we just don't even know what to do, or we hear something that sounds really good, but we don't know how to get there. We need your help so much. We need your Holy Spirit uh, in this church and in our lives so that we might um, know you better and see what you are up to as opposed to what plans and purchases and um, events that we have put into our life. We ask for your help to move forward with this teaching. In Jesus' name, amen.